got something for you today. We're in a series called Something's Gotta Change. And uh, how many of you been here for the past one or two series of the Something's Gotta Change in here? Okay, great. A um, number of you haven't, so that's awesome. Glad you're here for, for the first time. We've been just looking at this idea in 2017. Kind of some things need to change. It's a great time for us to kind of reevaluate where we're at and how things are going in our lives and our marriages and our families. And uh, I think if we're honest, many of us would say, Something's got to change. There's areas of our lives where something needs to change. And so week one, two weeks ago, we talked about the change we want might not be the change that we need. Looked at the story of a beggar and how God uh, ended up giving him legs and healed him even though he was only looking for money. We talked about letting go of pride, holding on to Jesus and the importance of that. Last week, Pastor Bubba did an incredible job talking about how God changes us. I would encourage you to go back and listen to any of these messages just to catch you up. But he just shared the story of Peter and how... Peter kind of really ran from God when he failed and how God went after him and had kind of this honest moment and how we only really change for the things that we love. And, and also, secondly, that change really just begins with the first step, just taking that first step and how big of a step that is. Today, I kind of want to continue uh, with that thought in a sense of this idea of taking a step and I want us to look at Mark chapter 5. So if you got some notes, wave them at me just real quick just so I can see you. All right, good, good, good. You're not at the movies. We want you to be engaged, interact. That's why I give you some notes so you can take some notes. And uh, if, I, if it, the preaching just gets real good, just wave one at me. Just, so it just lets me know, okay? Um, I, I, I got a little soul up in me, so I need, a little, I need a little response back and forth, okay? So the, fast, or the better you respond, the faster I preach. The quieter you are the slower I go. <laughs> so, uh, can I get an amen? amen. Okay, I, I'm just going to test you out here, okay? Just say, preach it, let's go. You can just stand up and look at me and go, mm-hmm. I mean, just whatever. Get it going. So, we are in uh, Mark chapter 5. We'll be in verse 21 through 42. We're going to stay in this book the whole time. We'll have your electronic Bible on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible. And then you got it there in your notes. Hey, before I get started, let me ask a question. Um, how many of you, maybe this is a little personal, but <laughs> how many of you like touch? You like, you, you're a touchy type of person. Anybody in here? Okay. All right. Okay. Um, for those that don't like touch, raise your hand. Okay. Yeah. So probably, so when I said turn around and, and find somebody, your anxiety level went up just a little bit. When I say go high five somebody, you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> Mm-mm, don't touch me. Hey, you just sat down. That's, that's how you are. You know, the, the, how many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages? You know, you know what book that Five Love Languages is? He talks about how in marriage and relationships, we have these kind of five love languages of how we, we give love and receive love. He talks about acts of, acts of service and gifts and quality time and words of affirmation and touch. Um, those are kind of like the five. Um, my top two are touch and touch me again. Um, <laughs> Come on, can I get a husband up in here? Come on, man. You can just touch me right now. That's all right, baby. Um, and so that's kind of mine. But the weird thing is I only like my wife touching me. I don't want you touching me. Um, I, 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 I like that, but I, I, I don't. I'm, I'm a lot of crowds kind of, anybody in here, when you get around crowds, you're like, oh. Yeah, some of you felt that way when you walked in here. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so many people. You kind of get that way. My wife gets that way a lot, a lot worse than I do. Um, and it's funny because all of our boys are completely different. Uh, how many know your kids are all different? Come on, how many know usually the first one, Jesus was like, here, bless you. And then second one, he was like, I'm going to help you. And then, so that's 
our, our boys are totally different. If you come to our house, we got some, some of our boys that are touchy-feely and some of our boys that don't touch me. So if you come to my house, my middle son, Judah, is, is totally touched. He's like a people person. Loves people. Loves people. I can't leave without giving him a hug. He's a dad. I need a hug. And, and he wants a kiss. He wants everything. If I leave the house and don't hug him, he calls me and chews me out. Dad, you forgot to give me a hug. You were sleeping, son. I was not going to wake you up. Dad, I need a hug. Okay, we'll give a virtual hug. All right? Just... On the other hand, my oldest son, who happens to be sitting on the front row, don't you touch him at all. Um, doesn't, like, doesn't even want to hug his mom. Boo. <laughs> it's just how he is, though. It, it is not, not the touchy-feely type. I'm like, hug your mom. He's like, mm. Hug your mom. I'm going to spank you. Hug your mom. No. But it's, it's just that type. The, we, we all have different types. I mean, some people are touchy people. Some people are, don't touch me. But touch, honestly, is a, is a, it's a big thing in life. Touch symbolizes a lot of things. It's, it's, a, it's a term. Not, not a term. It's, it's an endearment. There's affection that comes through that. There's love that kind of comes through touch. Um, there's surveys and, and research that's out there that are, that are babies that are born, that they need to be held and coddled and touched. And babies that are actually born and just put in a crib and, and never touched, their actual health, physical health, actually decreases. And, and the same can be true for us in, in many ways. Um, the reason I'm talking about touch is because we're going to look at a, a passage of scripture here where there was two touches, and they were pretty big touches. These touches actually transformed these two people's lives. And so I, I want you to see about this idea of touch, what happens really when we touch God. So Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be in verse 21. If you're there, say I'm there. Yeah, you better be there. I got it right there for you. Mark 5, 21. Let's read it together. You don't have to read it out loud. I'll read it. You can just read it along. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is what? what? What's going on? She's what? She's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Now, you got to realize this is a this is a big deal. Jarius is a religious leader. He is well known. He is well respected. Everybody in the community knows him. Um, he's, he's, he's a guy who works in the church. But this was a real abnormal thing for him to do because grown men in the Jewish culture didn't do what he did. He went and got down at the feet of Jesus, and he's, he's, he's in a real desperate situation. He's begging for Jesus to come to his house because his daughter is, is dying, is dying, and he's in this kind of desperate situation. Now, look what happens. So he tells Jesus, my daughter's dying. I need you to come. Verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him. I love that. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So, I mean, you got to imagine his daughter is on her deathbed and he comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've heard that you can do this. Come to my house, put your hands on my daughter so she can heal, be healed and live. And so Jesus says, all right, let's go. Here's the problem, though. There's a lot of people pressing around Jesus. Thousands of people are around Jesus. And I can only imagine Jarius, he's finally got Jesus' attention and he's wanting like a police escort. Hey, 
Part the ways. We got to get Jesus to my daughter. Come on, do the siren thing. Let's go. We got to get some people out of here. He's wanting to hurry up and get Jesus to his daughter. Now, you're going to find out in just a minute when we're about to read this passage is that uh, a lot of things don't happen in your timing. You want things to go pretty quickly. Come on, how many know sometimes it don't happen? How many know, have you ever heard the term, if, if something bad's going to happen, it's, it's going to happen, right? And this is a kind of a situation with, with, with Jairus. His daughter's on her deathbed. He's ready to get Jesus to, to his, uh, his house to heal his daughter. And look what happens. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had had. And yet instead of getting better, she what? She grew worse. So we have a story of Jairus and his 12-year-old daughter that are sick and now interjects another woman into this story. This woman is unknown. Um, This woman has... um, she has bleeding issues for 12 years. Come on, how many ladies go, no, no, no. 12 years of PMS? Oh, no. And I want you to see the contrast, though. There's two different stories happening right now. So we got the story of Jairus and his daughter, and we got the story of this woman. Watch the contrast, though. So Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who's sick. She's been sick for 12 years. He's the ruler of the synagogue. She's actually not allowed in the synagogue because of her problem. He has a name that everybody knows. She is someone that no one knows. He's respected. She's rejected. So this is the area of first that we have to deal with, which is this idea of of really coming to Jesus how we come to Jesus. And you see kind of two things going on here. You have Jairus and then you have the woman. The woman really is probably dealing with unbelief. I don't know if Jesus will love me. I don't know if Jesus will do this for me. I'm not sure. I have faith that he can, but there's just this unbelief of will it, can, he, can he really bring change into my life? And then you have Jairus on the other hand who finally does come to Jesus. And, and notice when he comes to Jesus. At what point is his daughter when he comes to Jesus? She's at, she's at the end. She is, something in my hair. She's all over. Is there something in my hair? Somebody help me out here. Is it a bug? Oh, good. I was hungry. Um, look what A.W. Tozer write. Look at this. I put it on the screen for you. The reason why many, why many are still troubled, are still seeking, and are still making little forward progress. So I want you to think about this. Something's got to change in my life. But it's not changing like I want it to change. Am I making little progress? Look what he says. It's because they haven't yet come, what? To the end of themselves. We've got to get to the end of ourselves. We're still trying to give hoarders and interfering with God's work within us. Notice that the Jarius, this uh, religious leader, notice it wasn't until he got to the most desperate moment that he finally decides, okay, now I'm going to come to Jesus. How many know usually Jesus is at the very end of our list? We'll do everything that we can, and then we go, hey, maybe I need to start praying. Or, hey, maybe I should, maybe I should try church. Maybe I should give this faith thing a chance. The, the, the word for that is pride. 
Pride says, I can do it, I can handle it, I got this. Which actually, the, the woman did it as well. It said she went to the doctor, she spent everything that they had, she did everything that she could. She came to the end of her resources, the end of everything that she could do. He came to the end of everything that he could do for his daughter, and they both end up meeting with Jesus. And the reason this is so important is because... I want you to hear this. There is no one too messed up, too unclean, and too insignificant to get Jesus' attention. And secondly, there is no one that is too good or too powerful that doesn't need him desperately. We all need him desperately. We all need him desperately. Look at verse 27. It says, and when she heard about Jesus. So think about this woman, 12 years of dealing with the same issue over and over and over again. And she's hearing about this guy who has this ability to heal and save and raise people from the dead and he walks on water and he, it's just incredible. And she hears about this guy and look what it says. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So here's your first note. If you want to take some notes here, here's your first one. You You can make excuses or make changes, but you can't make both. You can make excuses or you can make changes, but you can't make both. As as soon as you want to change, how many of you have ever noticed this? As as soon as you want to change, the enemy hits you with every excuse of why you can't change. Anybody ever done that? You're like, okay, baby, listen, we're going to church tomorrow. All right, we're going to church. How many know all hell breaks loose on Sunday morning? The guy who wrote, it's easy like Sunday morning, didn't have kids. <laughs> right? Come on, any parents in here with me on that one? I pray for Miss Tracy and my wife because they get their kids ready without their husbands. I'm, I'm not even there. So I'm like, peace in a Sunday morning. <laughs> and she comes in and she's like, I hate you. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. How many know when you want to change, every excuse in the book comes your way on why you can't? Man, I just need to lose some weight. Tomorrow. I'll go to the gym tomorrow. Yeah, we'll go to counseling tomorrow. How many know tomorrow never comes? Tomorrow never comes. There's always an excuse of why we can't get where we need to be in life. And every time you want to go, okay, something's got to change. Okay, we're going to do it. All these excuses flood your heart and your mind that the enemy brings your way of why either you can't or why you shouldn't or everything. And listen, this woman had every excuse in the book she could have used. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this woman. So she was sick and in pain, 12 years of pain. Come on, how many know you could use that as an excuse? She, um, I mean, doctors couldn't help her. Essential oils couldn't help her. I mean, nothing was helping her. She... <laughs> She, that's funny, she, she's lonely. Now think about this. Okay, why is she lonely? Because of the condition that she had, she was what would they would call unclean. Un, now think about this. So she is unclean, which means that no one can be around her, which means no one can touch her. For so 12 years, she's never had the touch of a person. Talk about lonely. 12 years. Actually, if you go and you study in those days when a, when a woman was on her cycle, they actually would send them outside of the community into what they would call the red tent. 
And after she was done, then she was allowed back into the community. Now she was clean again. So when she was unclean, she was out. And when she was clean, she was, she was allowed to move back in. I'm thinking about starting that. Um, no, <laughs> Husbands, don't laugh. That's not, it's not funny. So no touch, no hugs. I mean, she's extremely lonely. She was poor. Well, how do we know she's poor? She spent everything that she had to try to fix the problem. And had no money. No money left. So she's poor. She's out of resources. She's, she's insignificant. Why do we know that? She has no name. We know Jairus' name. Everybody knows his name. We don't even get the chance of knowing exactly what this woman's name is. She's not even given a name, so she's totally insignificant. And then last is, she's hopeless. She's hopeless. Her issue is incurable. Nobody can fix it. And I think there's a lot of us in here that probably have some some conditions in our lives, some things that we'd like to change, where you've just lost all hope. Because every time you seem to make a change, you always seem to fall right back into it. Or every time you seem to really make some progress, something just gives way and it doesn't, doesn't fulfill, doesn't change. And so she's at a place where she's tried everything. And, and, and not only is it, is it not helping, it's getting worse. Come on, how many you know when we try to fix ourselves, we usually just make things worse? I know we don't want to admit that. I know you, you really do fix yourself, but that's... It's me, so pray for me, that when we try to fix ourselves, it actually ends up being worse. She has every excuse in the book not to go to Jesus. I mean, she's, she's an outcast. Nobody wants to be around her. But I love this. I love that even in the midst of the crowd, she wouldn't let the crowds keep her from Jesus. Now, what do the crowds represent? The crowds represent everybody's opinions and what they think about you. Come on, how many of you know when you start going to church and you start getting your life right with God, how many of you know you're not going to have a ton of fans all the time? So people are going to be like, oh, you're going to church now, huh? Oh, you're too good to hang out with us now, huh? Oh, oh, you got your life all together now, huh? I mean, anybody else felt that before? You felt the pressure of people going, oh, okay. You're... Because what ends up happening is, is people that want what you want aren't willing to do what you're willing to do. And so they'll try to knock you down to feel like they feel. But I'm going to tell you right now, this woman was so focused on meeting Jesus, she didn't let the crowd stop her. So this is a quote, it's been known for many years, but I feel like it's fitting for where we are. And this is it. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. If you wonder why nothing's changing, the problem is, is because you ain't doing anything different. If you want something different, do something different. Got to step out of your box. This woman had to get desperate. She got to a place where she, she had to do something So this is what I wrote. You'll never change until the pain of staying the same grows greater than the pain of change. Because how many know to change, it takes pain too? How how many want to lose weight? Okay. You don't, I mean, you don't have to, you can raise your hand if you want to. How many know that's going to be painful? Okay. It is painful. All right. I mean, you got to say no to the things that you want. I'm sorry, you can't sit on a couch and have like something rub your belly and just sheds all these pounds. It would be nice. I know everybody wants the silver bullet. I know everybody wants to do stuff where you try to do something. Come on, everybody wants to make money fast. Everybody wants to lose weight fast. Everybody wants to do things fast. I mean, no, none of that usually ever works. It takes pain and hard work and consistency to see real change. And so you got to do something that you haven't done to get the results that you've never had. 
And if you keep doing what you keep doing, you're going to keep getting what you keep getting. Man, I don't know why our marriage is so jacked up. Well, are you doing anything different? Are you doing anything different? Try, try something different. Think about what your life could be if you would quit making excuses. Come on, we make excuses for everything. Think of how different your life would be if you would just quit making excuses. We're the master excuse makers. We figure out a way to excuse everything that we do to justify our behavior. I remember when Lindsay was working out a lot and she was running. She was running all the time. And she was doing like 5Ks and 10Ks. I was getting tired just watching her. And I was cheering on the sidelines. Man, my side hurts. I mean, just... She is just, she's just running all the time. And I remember she, she, she sat down with me one time. She said, babe, can I, can I speak frankly with you? I said, no, you cannot. <laughs> What's up? She said, um, you're lazy. <laughs> and you're getting a little big. Oh. And, <laughs> and I said, I feel sexy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you don't see that. It's just more to love. She says, babe. I, and and, and I, I took offense to it. And, um, and she said, you really need to start like working out, just taking care of your body. You need to stop drinking so many Dr. Peppers. You need to start. I don't know. I was like, get behind me, Satan. Um, <laughs> come on, anybody with me? All right. Um, I said, well, you stop drinking your coffee. And then I'll stop. No, okay. Anyway, so. So I, sp- I was spending some time with the Lord that week after we had that conversation, and, and God, God then began to speak to me. Come on, how many know the wife speaks, and then when God speaks, they sound similar. <laughs> they do. Uh, so, so like, I don't know, it's the Holy Spirit of Lindsay. I don't know which one it is. They sound real close. And God said, Josh, your wife is concerned about you because this isn't a sprint. This is a, this is a marathon. And she needs you around for the long call. And your boys do too. And everybody else. You need to take care of your body. And so, so of course, I said, okay. So started the whole CrossFit thing. And the first day I went, I threw up everywhere. <laughs> this is no lie. And I said, no more. I'm done. And then I, then I remembered, if you want to get results, you got to be willing to go through the pain. You got to be willing to put in the hard work to get with where you want to get. Nobody in life that's successful got there the easy way. They all had to endure pain to get where they want. You look at people that have incredible kids and like, man, I'd love to have that. You don't know what they went through to have to produce that. Come on, we, in all areas of our lives, people who love Jesus a lot, you don't know what the pain and the commitment that they went to to have that relationship. The same was, was with working out. I just knew I had to. This week, I was like, I told Lindsay, I don't want to go. She was like, okay. Like, she didn't push me. She's like, okay. And then I heard in the back, I was preparing this message. And I heard, you can make excuses or you can make changes, but you can't make both. And I'm like, dang it, preaching myself. <laughs> so I went. And it was bad. And it hurt. But I made progress. Y'all see what I'm saying? Anywhere in your life, you want to make some progress, you're going to have to stop making excuses. You're going to have to stop making excuses. This is what this woman did. She stopped making excuses. She said, I'm finding Jesus. Get out my way. I'm finding him. Come on. How many know a woman on a mission? Get out of her way. 
Verse 29, look, follow with me. It says, and immediately, so she touches Jesus' garment. She said, I got to do something different. She does something different. She touches his garment and her bleeding stops. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized that, say that word, that what? Come on, say it louder. That power had gone out from him. Power. This is the Greek word for dunamis. This is where we get the word dynamite. This is the same word that, the, that Jesus uses when he says to the guys in the upper room, you need to stay in the upper room because I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and it's going to have power. This is the same word. And Jesus says, is, he's got the power. By the, hey, by the way, Jesus has the power. You don't have the power. You got to come to the end of yourself to realize that though. But Jesus has got the power. Jesus is the man that's got the power. And look at the next verse. It says, and he, and he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? Okay. So this is where it gets a little sarcastic. Verse 31. You, you see the people crowded around you. His disciples answered. And yet you ask, who touched me? Now listen, if it's my vote, I think this is Peter. Anybody in here? This is totally Peter. Peter has always had a way of putting his foot in his mouth and getting rebuked by Jesus all the time. I think this is totally Peter. Jesus goes, hey, somebody touch me. And he's like, ah, duh, Jesus. You see everybody around here? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, this is a different kind of touch. It's a totally different type of touch. And, the, and it says, look, it says in, the, in verse 32, and he keeps looking around to see who had done it. He says, who touched me? Now, how many know when Jesus asks a question, is it because he doesn't know the answer? No, he knows. Anytime, listen, anytime Jesus asks a question, he knows the answer. Who touched me? <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, like when I come downstairs and I'm in the living room and there's a whole thing of Oreos and they've all been eaten. And I go, who ate the Oreos? And two brothers are sitting there just playing the Wii, nothing on their face. And then one over there has got chocolate everywhere. Come on, I, when I ask the question, I'm not asking it because I don't know who did it. I'm asking it to see if they'll come clean and repent. Dad, I don't know. It's like rapture. All these Oreos, they were just going everywhere. I don't know how they demolished. Your brother, my brother made me. You know, it's all these, here's the excuses. So Jesus is kind of in that way. He's, he's asked, hey, who touched me? Okay, he already knows who's touching him. What he's doing is he's inviting this woman to come clean. That's what he does when he asks those questions. He's inviting her. And now here's the greatest point of this whole story. Look, at, look with me in verse 33. It says, so he says, who touched me? And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking, he's looking for where this woman is. And verse 33 says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, and what does she do? Yeah. Same thing that Jairus did. Falls at his feet, but she falls in a different way. She's with trembling and with fear. And, and now watch this, I love this. And she told him the whole truth. Okay, let me come clean. Let me come clean. All right, ready? Take some notes. Here's your next one. How you see God determines how you come to him. How you see God determines how you come to him. This woman in this moment displays both faith and fear at the same moment. So she's got faith. I believe if I can just touch Jesus, I'm going to get healed. And so she goes and she touches him. But immediately what ends up happening? Fear steps in too. And what does she do? She hurries up and backs out of the crowd. So she doesn't go and like tackle him. She just hurries up and grabs a little bit of his clothes, gets experiences the power of healing, and then, and then steps away and backs away because she doesn't want to be around people because she's afraid. 
So, so he's going, who touched me? Who touched me? And he's looking for her, and she comes clean. She falls at his feet, and the scripture says is that she tells the whole truth. Now, you've got to imagine what this woman must be feeling like. She's had this issue for 12 years. She's been ostracized. She's been rejected. She's no name. Nobody cares for her. Nobody has touched her. I mean, all of these feelings are in, going in her, going through. And, and you've got to think what she's thinking. Is he going to shame me publicly? Is, 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 is he, is he, is he going to rebuke me? Is he going to tell people, grab stones? Is, 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 is he going to freak out on me? Is he going to be mad at me? Is he going to be angry? How you see God determines how you come to him. Listen, if you think God is mad at you, you don't come to him. Y'all with me? If you think God is mad at you, you run from him. You don't run to him. But can I, listen to me very closely. Can I tell you, Jesus loves you. He doesn't condemn you, and he welcomes you with open arms. So if you see him as a loving God, even when you fail, guess what? You run to that God. So years ago, I've, I've shared this story a couple of times before, but years ago, I, I, uh, my, my middle son got into some big trouble. And my wife was at Walmart. It was Halloween day, and he, he I, don't, I don't even remember what he did, but I was cooking dinner, which that's a rarity already, but I was cooking dinner. So I said, Judah... Go to your room now. Come on, how many you know when dad says that? It's like the death penalty. It's like, Jesus, death row. You know, you walk in. So he goes into the room. I'm cooking. 15, 20 minutes go by. I totally forget about him. Lindsay comes home, says, where's Judah? I said, oh, that's right. I got to go deal with that. He's in his room. Go into his room. Hey, Judah. He's not there. He's no, Judah. Not, no answer, nothing. Judah. So, of course, mom come home, mama hen, where's my son? Come on, how many know it's her son then? Where's my son? What did you do with my son? Now I'm on death row. I've been put on. So I'm like, Judah, Judah, where you at? Judah, Judah. I'm screaming at the top of my, Judah. And so it's Halloween night. So mom goes into freak out mode. He went outside and a van came by and abducted him. This is no lie. In a matter of one minute, it went from where's he at to he's abducted. He's abducted. He's probably off in Mississippi by now. I mean, it's just like everything's already just escalated. into. So she's running outside. She's screaming, Judah. I'm in the backyard. Judah, you better show up. Where are you at? I mean, we are, you know, we're being real graceful. Get over here. Nothing. Nothing. She's like, baby, do I need to call 911? Do I need? I'm like, hold on. He's got to be around. He's got to be around here. So. Literally, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, go in your room and look under your bed. And I go into my room and I pull up the little cover of my bed and he's underneath there crying and shaking. And I was like, buddy, why didn't you answer me? He said, I was scared of you. Come on, how many you know right then I felt like dad of the year? Just <laughs> give me the award, please. I said, come on, come on out. I pulled him out, put him on the, put him on the, the bed. I said, bud, what happened? Oh, you were going to spank me, and I didn't want to get spanked. And, I mean, just crying. And how many know after that, you're like, I can't spank you. <laughs> Actually, can you spank me? Um, <laughs> and at that moment, I felt like the worst dad ever. And, and that night, I told Lindsay, I said, God spoke to me in this. I never want my kids to be afraid of me. 
And he was. And it reminded me of my dad. My dad would raise his voice, be uh, really authority, and he would beat me. And I, I despised my dad, and I ran from him. And so when I failed, I ran from my dad. I went to my mom, but I wouldn't go to my dad. I ran from him. And I thought, this is how a lot of people think God thinks about them. They're hiding underneath the bed, and God's going, where you at? Where you at? And we don't come out because we're afraid that he doesn't like us or that he's going to beat us or he's going to punish us or he's going to do something. And God says, come on out. I love you. Never be afraid of me. Isn't that what he does to Adam and Eve? Hey, where y'all at? Oh, we were, we were hiding. Why were y'all hiding? We were naked. Who told you you were naked? And what they thought God was going to do, he didn't do. Come on, can, how many of you glad we, got, we serve a gracious, loving, kind, compassionate God? It is the goodness and kindness of God that leads men to repentance. This is the God that we serve. And so here we are. He's inviting her into this honest moment, this, this woman. And how we see God is how we come to him. Isn't it interesting that shame and hiding always go together? So if you did something this weekend or you did something this week that you're shameful of, it's, it's, it's almost like we feel like we can't walk into church or we feel like we can't be around people or we feel like there's shame that's there. And what it ends up doing is it, it brings us to a place of hiding and isolation. And then actually the enemy ends up using that. And so he starts saying things like, see, you'll never change. See, you thought you loved Jesus. See, I told you this would always be you. See, and he plays these lies over our minds all the time of what real change looks like because of shame. But come on, how many of you are so glad that Jesus bore our shame on the cross? There's no more shame on you. There's no more guilt on you because all of that was put on Jesus. And so guess what? You can come all broken, busted, disgusted, come up to Jesus. And he goes, come on in. I'll cover that. Because how many know he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness? And, and that's a great trade, by the way. It's a great trade. And so this woman is invited into grace. She doesn't deserve it, but she's invited into it. And look what it says. He says to her, daughter. Remember, this is no name lady. The very first word he speaks to her is daughter. Daughter signifies an intimate relationship. Jesus, or she wanted healing, but Jesus wanted relationship. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Write this down. It's not in your notes, but I just want you to write it down. God isn't going to reveal anything that he is not willing to heal. God is not going to reveal anything that he is not willing to heal. The reason why he said, who touched me? Come on out. Because he wanted her to come out and go public with what was going on. So that she could get physical healing, but also she could get spiritual and emotional healing. Because listen, you know what he did? He said this in front of everybody. She is healed. Almost like, everybody y'all hear that? She's not the same anymore. She's not unclean anymore. See, in those days, if an unclean person touched a clean person, that clean person became unclean. But, but when you touch Jesus, who's clean, if you're unclean and you touch Jesus, who's clean, how many know now he makes you clean? He doesn't become unclean. Jesus could hang out with a lot of unclean people because it didn't make him unclean. He made them clean. 
And it's totally different in our society. Like if I'm sick and I have a cold or a virus or something and I sneeze on you and then you get sick, I don't like now not, I'm not not sick. Like, no, we're just both sick now. <laughs> like keep that sneeze to yourself. Okay, that, but with Jesus, when you touch him and you're unclean, he touches you and makes you clean. Her blood, think about her. Her blood is what made her unclean, but Jesus' blood is what made her clean. Come on, how awesome is that? Jesus' blood covers all of her issues. That's good preaching, all right? So we see the contrast. Jairus is a dad who's pleading for his daughter, and Jesus is reaching out to a woman who has no father. And he becomes her father. Hey, by the way, we're the woman, if you haven't figured it out by now. We're the unclean. We're the people who have tried to work on our life. We're the ones who have tried to make things work. We're the ones who have tried to make ourselves clean and only made ourselves worse. Y'all know that's us, right? We are the woman in this. No, we're not better on our own. We're better because of Jesus. Sinners and outcasts are made sons and daughters when they come to Jesus. Look at verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking... Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. So, hey, let's pause real quick. Hey, what's up with Jairus during all this? Let's think about that for a moment. So Jairus is the one who got this whole thing started. Hey, can you come heal my daughter? She's about to die. Hey, let's, let's, let's get the move on. Come on, let's go. And Jesus goes, okay, let's go. Hey, who touched me? And then sits down and begins to have a conversation with this lady, and can you imagine all that's going on in Jairus' mind and heart? Hey, Jesus, you want to speed it up? Got a daughter on the deathbed. Like, you ready? I'm, I'm ready. Let's, let's go. Anytime, how many of you know Jesus, his speed is way different than our speed? His timing is way different than our timing. We're like, Jesus, come on. I need the job now. And he's like, ah, we're cool. I'm good. I need a man. You got me. <laughs> Chill out with me for now. You cool? Come on, how many know Jesus' timing is way different than our timing? We're praying for things and we want it done in our timing, and God says, ah, it don't work that way. And watch what happens. The thing that the, the man fears the most happens. While Jesus was still speaking. So he's still talking to this woman, like, Jesus, can we wrap it up? Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter's dead. And they said, why bother the teacher anymore? How many know at that moment, if I'm Jairus, I'm mad. Like, real mad. My daughter is on her deathbed, and you deal with this little problem? You could have came back and dealt with that problem. If you would have just came and healed my daughter, then you could have came back and dealt, but you let my daughter die? Makes no sense. Why would you do that? This is the God that we serve. He does things that we can't explain. Why do, why do people die when they shouldn't? I don't know. Jesus does, though. What this woman doesn't know is that Look what verse 36 says. He says, overhearing what they said, because they said, hey, listen, don't even bother Jesus anymore. Just let him go do his thing. Jairus, just come home. He says, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just what? 
disbelieve. Write this last one down. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. Jesus was telling Jairus, listen, the same faith that you came to me when, when we started this whole thing, just keep believing. Don't stop. Okay, anyway. I don't know if he busted out in song or not. How many of you know having faith when God is answering your prayers in the timing that you want, it's really easy. Having faith when God's not answering the prayers in the timing you want is really hard. God, it's really hard. And, and you're asking for like good things like, God, I want to be free of this. Or God, I want my husband to love you. Or God, I want my child to be back in, in our family. God, I, I mean, it's good things. You're not asking for bad things and they just don't seem to be happening. I mean, he just wants his daughter to be healed it's not a bad thing to be asking for, but how many know that God is often working his greatest plans even in our worst moments? Where everything else looks dark and everything else looks like all the world is caving in on me and this is not good news. You can trust that you serve a good God. That's why it's so important for us to know how God is and see how he is because we can come to him when we see that he's good. If you think that God is bad, then you won't run to him when things get bad. But if you believe God is good when things get bad, you'll run to this God. And God's delays are not God's denials. Just because he says not now doesn't mean he said no. Because what's going to end up happening is Jesus is going to show up on the scene. He's going to do some really cool stuff. How many know if there's one thing that we hate, it's to wait? Right? Like some of y'all right now, like, what time is this going to be over with? I mean, we're going to, we close? Come on, we don't like to wait. Which, by the way, if you live in Jennings, you have no idea what traffic is, so stop complaining, Okay? Come to Texas, Lafayette, Lake Charles, somewhere else. But you don't know what that. But, I, man, listen, slow drivers here, ah, pull over. Just pull over. Texas people, at least pull over. Pull over. Let me get by you. Just don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. We like fast. We like right now. We like things to work right now. We don't like work, and we don't like to wait. So I got to do something for change? Oh, man, I'm not cool with that. I got to wait for change? Man, I'm not cool with that. So, therefore, we don't change. And I'm telling you today, if you want to keep the change this year, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to wait. Two things that are going to end up happening in your life is working and waiting. And a lot of our life is spent waiting. So I just wrote down some things maybe that are waiting and maybe some of you would, will speak to this to you. Maybe you're waiting on a baby. Maybe you're waiting on a job. Maybe you're waiting on a man. Maybe you're waiting on a deal to go through. Maybe you're fighting an illness and waiting on results. Or maybe you got the results and now you're waiting on a healing. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're waiting for the pain to go away. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship to be restored. Maybe you're waiting for a wayward son or daughter or husband or wife to come back home. Have you noticed that God is not in a hurry? Write this down. In the waiting, God is working. In the waiting... God is working. Let me show you. Verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came home to the, home, came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? Yet again, stupid question number two, Jesus. Who touched me? Okay, come on, Jesus. Hey, why are y'all crying? What? Like, it would seem like Jesus is almost insensitive. Like, what's, what's all the tears about? And look what he says. Yet again, Jesus knows things that we don't know. He says, the child's not dead. She's just taking a nap. 
Oh, oh, okay. No, I think she's dead. Now look at this. They what? What did they do? They what? They went from wailing and screaming to laughing. Now, they're not laughing in a good way. They're mocking him. Now watch this. I love this part. You might want to underline this. After he put them all out. I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to see real change in 2017, there might be after some people in your life, you got to put them out. They are not faith-filled people. They are people that will pull you down, that will say, oh, that can't happen. They'll have no hope and they'll have no faith and you need to get those people out of your life. If you want to see change happen this year, you, gotta, you might have to change some friends. Because if you show me who you hang out with, I'll show you your future. And so Jesus says, hey, you, 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 get out of here. Get out. We don't need, we don't, we don't need your fear. We need some faith. Peter, James, John, mom, dad, come on, let's go. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with them, and they went in where the child was. I love this. And he took her by the hand. See, here's, a, here's our second touch. He takes her by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Scholars say it could actually be translated, Talitha is actually a more intimate word, which could translate honey, like a nickname, a term of endearment. He would say, honey, get up. Kind of like you, you have your kids get up. Well, that's, well, we don't get our kids up like that. <laughs> get up! We're more kind of like a Lazarus. Rise! <laughs> your waffles are waiting. You know, we're not, we're not really the, uh, we're not really the, get up, honey. Uh, maybe you are. I don't know. Not in my home. <laughs> but I love that he's so tender. He doesn't do the Lazarus come forth. He doesn't do that for her. He's, he's sitting by her bed, grabs her little hand, says, honey, get up. Says immediately, the girl stands up. She begins to walk around. And as this, they were completely what? Yeah, you bet they were. You bet they were. If I was Jesus, I'd be like, I told you a nap. I told you. It was almost as Jesus was telling them, listen, Jairus, and Jairus was the only one who got to see both of these things. Think about this. Jairus got to see the woman with the issue of blood healing. And then he also got to see his daughter raised to life. He got to, he got to witness both miracles. And it was almost as if Jesus was saying, listen, I have the power to heal afflictions that have been with you for so long. And I have the power to raise things that have no hope from the dead. If you've got a marriage that has no hope, you do if you've got Jesus. If you've got a kid that you think has no hope, you do if you've got Jesus. If you got an issue that you just cannot get past and something's got to change, but it seems like it never changes and I keep going back to it. And every time I say I'm not going to do it, I, I really don't want to do it, but I keep doing it. It can change with Jesus. Y'all know Jesus is the answer for all this, right? He's the one that's got the power. He's the one that can forgive. He's the one that can heal. Would you bow your heads all across this place? If you're in here and you'd be honest, say, Pastor Josh, you know what? I've made so many excuses. I've made a lot of excuses on why I am where I am. But today I, I, I'm realizing it's, it's, if I want to see change, if I want to see something different, I'm going to have to do something different. 
Today I'm ready to, to lay down every excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to pursue Jesus. Grab hold of Jesus. I'm realizing that I've spent everything that I've had. I've tried to do everything my way and it just has not worked. And today I, I want to put my faith, my trust in him. Maybe it's a, something that's been a habit for a long time. Maybe it's something recent. They say, Pastor Josh, I'm ready for some change. If that's you all across this room, would you just raise your hand just so I can see? I want to pray for you. Come on, hands going up all over. Keep, keep your hands up. It's all right. We're going public today. We're going public today. God only reveals what he wants to heal. Come on, if you want some healing in your life, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, just put your hand up in the air. Father, I pray right now, Lord, for every single hand, all of these hands that are raised, God. Lord, I know, Jesus, you're powerful. God, you heal. God, I pray right now, Lord, with every hand that's raised, representing a need, representing something that's got to change, representing an issue, representing a relationship, representing a struggle, that you see it, that you can meet it, that you can heal it. So I pray right now in the name of Jesus, healing, healing of every person in this room as they come clean, and as they come to you, I pray healing in the name of Jesus. Amen. With, with all heads bowed still, you can put your hand down right there where you are. You say, Pastor Josh, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. The greatest issue that I'm facing really right now is just, is just surrender. Bible says it's, it's what it means to be born again. Not that you haven't gone to church or maybe been baptized or done some religious things. It's, it's, it's talking about a relationship with the Lord that you haven't put your full, complete faith and trust in the Lord. If you've raised your hand before, you don't, you're, you're good. But if you've never made that full surrender and say, today, today the biggest change I need to make is just to put Jesus first in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand all across this room and say, Pastor Josh, would you pray with me? Come on, I see hands going up all over the place. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray right now, Lord, over every hand that's raised. God, I thank you. Come on, would you just, everybody just say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for sending your son to pay for my debts and for dying on the cross for my sins and rising again to defeat death, hell, and the grave. Today, I surrender my life I make no more excuses. It's all yours. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Give me a new start. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, OSC family.